I sent a text to Laura the other day. She'd asked me some things about the sermon. So as they make plans for worship, um, I don't know if you're aware of the planning they do based upon and, and the songs that they choose based upon what's going to be preached in applications. They work very hard at that. And then I think once they were finished, then I sent another one and said, hey, how about this song? And it was the last song we sang, Oceans. I didn't know it would be so appropriate for the weather today. Um, but but I, wanted, I wanted us to be able to do that. I'm grateful we were able to uh, because of what we're talking about today, right? The chorus of that song about let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, right? And, and I hope you'll, hope you'll remember that chorus today as we go through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, our verses for today, uh, because it's all about obedience. Chris said something last week that I thought was so true. And, and we talk about these type of things in staff meeting when we get together and we see how God works things together. And if you remember last week, he talked about it was no coincidence for the first time in maybe years that on a Sunday morning in Bible study, we talked about Noah and then Noah shows up again in the scripture reading for that day. And when those things happen, we really got to pay attention because God trying to get our attention and teach us something. And the same thing has happened this week, right? This morning in small group, and I hope you were a part of small group. One of the things that you should have seen or did see was the unquestioned obedience of the disciples. And that's what we're talking about again this morning, unquestioned obedience, what it looks like to live a life of faith. And so uh, like Chris, I, I am in agreement that God has something he wants us to hear this morning. Um, as, you're, as you're finding your place in chapter 11, just kind of tell you that, and, and I think you, you've realized this, but through the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, we've kind of followed this argument that's taken us from heaven to earth and back to heaven again as we deal with the truths of Jesus Christ, right, our great high priest. And the author of Hebrews has challenged us relentlessly week after week um, with, with promises and warnings with some good examples and bad examples, with words of encouragement and at times words of harsh rebuke. Um, Dr. Guthrie down at Union, who we've referenced a lot uh, as we've studied in Hebrews, Dr. Guthrie wrote this about chapter 11. I thought it was perfect. He said, we have journeyed to this point through beautiful yet difficult theological terrain. And now suddenly, as we come up over a rise, we find Hebrews 11 stretched before us like a lovely, powerful, rolling river winding its way across our path. And that's kind of what Hebrews chapter 11 is. It's been difficult at times as we've gone through. And then we get to this chapter, and this chapter that has this, the, the biblical list of, of uh, exemplars of faith, right? And it's kind of written in a narrative form, and we get these, and it's, it's just nice to step back and to read this list. Um, I think there's a screen, I hope. Yeah, here we go. Of chapter 11, and this is, this is kind of where we're at. Imagining this picture that Dr. Guthrie painted, and we come up over the rise, and we get this narrative list. And so the first week we had this overture, as he calls it, through the first three verses. And then today you see, because we'll be actually in verses 8 to 12, we're at the end of, of this first movement, as Dr. Guthrie refers to it, of examples of faith. Next week when Chris is back and preaches in 13 to 16, we'll see this kind of this interlude in between these examples, um, and then he'll move us back into 14 verses where we get a, another whole list of examples of faith, and then it comes to a conclusion at the end. And so it is, it's a beautiful picture that's being painted for us in Hebrews 11, but I want to warn you 
that you can be blinded to the message that the author has for you in this chapter if you're not careful, right? This entire chapter presents us with a really simple, simple message. And the message is this, that a life of faith is the only life that pleases God. Okay, now let that sink in a minute. What the author's telling us in chapter 11 by showing us this list, that it is the life of faith is the only life that is pleasing to God. So the whole point of this, of this list of biblical examples, and we'll continue that today, is to give us evidence that, that posture, a posture of faith before God, um, living that type of life, is the only one that makes an impact for God. And so these people we've seen, Abel and Enoch and Noah last week, uh, today Abraham and Sarah, I realize sometimes we hear them and it, and, it, and it doesn't seem really applicable to us. We read these people and we think, yeah, well, that's really good, um, but they're somehow different from me, right? Some of us might even say, hey, these people are in the Bible, so they're somehow different than I am. And, and I think all too often, on the other hand, we see ourselves as, as too, too powerless or too worldly or maybe too normal to live extraordinary lives of faith. And that's too bad, right? If that's your perspective, it's too bad because you're missing the point, especially of chapter 11, because a life of faith is normal when it, when it comes to the people of God. C.S. Lewis, who you've heard of, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the life of faith, that's what is mere Christianity. Some of you will know that book, you have read it. And so what we're going to see today is that God calls all of us, each of us, to step out a step with the world, to jump up on the stage of history, and to take our place in God's roll call of the faithful. And as we look at chapter 11 today, it's not surprising that Abraham receives more verses, and you'll see that today, than any other person in this chapter because his life is an illustration of verse 1. So let's take a look. We're actually going to read the first 12 verses, and then we will concentrate just on the last four or five this morning. So in chapter 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself perceived ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, 
as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Let's pray. Father, again we come. And and God, as we sang this morning, we need you. And God, that is my prayer right now. Yes, Father, we needed you yesterday, and unquestionably we will need you tomorrow. But God, right now we need you more than we ever have because this is where we are. And God, if you don't show up, then this was just a show. And God, we are simply performers in that show. And God, that is not why we are here. We're here to worship you, Father, to hear from you, and to be changed by you. And so, God, I pray this morning as we look at what your word tells us about Abraham and Sarah, that, God, you would challenge us, that you would teach us, and that you would change us. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So take a look back at verse 8. That's where we're going to concentrate today is 8 through 12. So again in verse 8, it tells us that by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. If you keep your thumb there, your finger there, and can flip back really quickly to Genesis chapter 12, we'll see what this is referencing Verse 8 in Hebrews is a reference to what we are taught in Genesis chapter 12. Take a look at verses 1 through 3. As God's word says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So in 1 through 3 in Genesis, we see what this is referring to in Hebrews eleven eight. 8, right? We read the call of Abraham. And then if you're still there, look at verse 4. It says, So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 75 years old. What I want you to see from Genesis chapter 12 is what verse 8 is telling us again, is that God called and that Abraham obeyed. And I don't want us to miss that that this morning because that's where we're headed, right? First thing I want you to, to kind of write down or think about is that God's call always, always, always initiates our obedience. God's call always comes before our obedience. If you think back to Abraham, right, he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, which is in modern-day Iraq. That's where, that's where he was from. Um, he was a pagan in a pagan city. Uh, he descended from a long line of idolaters. In fact, there's a slide of Joshua 24 that, that we can see this. There it says, as Joshua said to the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So we're talking about a guy, right, who, who is the pinnacle of faith, gets more verses in the faith chapters than anyone else. We've seen that he got the call, that, that he listened to the call. But I want you to know this about him, right, that, that this is who Abraham was. And the point I'm trying to make is that Abraham did not concoct his own idea or his own dream or his own vision of, of moving to Canaan, right? He wasn't following his own plan in this. He was following God's call. And again, the point is that God's call is always the primary thing. Abraham's obedience is a response, but it's a response to the primary 
which is God's calling. What that's teaching us, or what I hope it teaches us this morning, is that we're not supposed to act on our own apart from God's call. And quite honestly, I think we're guilty of that sometimes. I think, I think often we decide how our faith is going to be lived, right? And so we plug ourselves into the things we like to do or the things we're comfortable doing. But that's not how God's faith, or that's not, that's not how it works, right? God always makes the call. And the only role we get to play on it is deciding whether or not we will obey that call as Abraham did or whether or not we're going to disobey that call. And so Abraham's demonstrating for us here in verse 8 what it looks like, right? That he obeyed God, even though he didn't have any idea where he was going. That's incredible. And it continues the pattern that Dr. Guthrie has given us in a definition that Chris has had on the screen several times, right? That faith, one of the parts of the definition of faith is that it consists of acting with reference to the unseen. And that's what we see going on here with Abraham, right? He is, he, he's obedient, but he has no idea where he's even going. And it's important to note that this promise that Abraham's descendants are going to inherit the land, that promise didn't come to Abraham until he got to the land. I think we miss that sometimes. I think we think, oh, well, I would have done it because the whole promise was how great it was going to be for everybody. No, no, no. All he said was go. Go to a place that you don't even know where it is. And I've got another promise once you get there. And I'll tell you what it is. He didn't even tell him that. But he had that promise. The point is, Abraham's obedience is simply God called, and so he went. Other than that, Abraham doesn't know much. He was not going to a land to possess it, simply acting on obedience to God. And, right, we see that in our lives. At least I, I think you do. I'll give you a modern application for that. I don't know that God has called you um, to, to just go somewhere. Maybe he is. We'll talk about that later. Here's one of the things God has called you to do, which is preach the gospel. God tells every one of us to share the gospel with someone. It's amazing. One of the things we heard Wednesday night, if you weren't here, I mean, it's an incredible statistic that in the modern church, estimate is that 2% of church members ever share the gospel in their life one time. 2%. Holy cow. 2%. Right? And yet God calls all of us to do that. But the point of it is this, not the 2%, but I want you to think of it this way. We share the gospel, and oftentimes we share the gospel, and we want to see the results of that. And we're disappointed when we don't. You know, we want to share the gospel and see somebody fall on their knees and cry out to, to, to Jesus for salvation, and it's great because it happens sometimes. But you know what? Most of the time, you, you will probably never see the results of your preaching the gospel. Very similar to what's going on here with Abraham. He wasn't going to a land to possess it. He was simply being obedient to God. I don't preach the gospel with an expectation that this person is going to do something right then and there. I preach the gospel out of obedience to God. And so that's why Abraham went. It's interesting, I think, the only piece of Canaan that Abraham ever owned was a burial plot that he had to buy for his wife. He never owned any of it. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to stop for a minute because we're about 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, and, and we, we're kind of far enough in to hit autopilot. We really are where it's like, okay, my body, I know when to nod. I know when to do this. I know when to look up. I want us to stop for a minute here um, and, and, and really think. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine you hear your name, right? So it, you're going to hear Bailey or Molly or Jacob or Abby. And then these words, I want you to leave everything you know and go to a place that I'll show you. I will bless you but you will always be a foreigner in that land. Your descendants will possess it, but you never will. You just go 
so that other people will be blessed. Now imagine you hear that this afternoon. My question is, you signing on for that? You hear your name in those words? Are we signing up for that? Be careful before you say yes, right? Because the truth of the matter is, for a lot of us, we can't even leave the house until we watch the news, check out the weather channel, see what the stock report says, and countless other barometers that let us know how our day is going to go. We have this whole list of things that we feel like we need to do before we ever step out the door to make sure the day is going to be okay. Be really careful about just casually saying, oh, yeah, I would answer that call. And the reason is because you can answer it. You can do that today. You can answer that call that God has in our lives to go and to preach the gospel to people that have never heard it before. Right? So we need to be really careful. I mean, I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to be mean or, or, or hurtful or anything like that. I'm really not. But, but the truth of the matter is it's an arduous task for some people just to, to be here on a consistent basis. Right? And if this is that arduous of a task, again, be careful about just flippantly saying, oh, yeah, I hear that call. I'm definitely going to go. I mean, the truth from that 2% we heard is that most people, if that statistic's true, won't cross the street or lean across the aisle in a classroom just to proclaim the gospel to lost neighbors and friends. I think that, I think that we've forgotten that true salvation it's, it's not some life on the sidelines because of something Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but, but you're in the game because true salvation is, is your union with Christ. And being joined with Christ always centers around a life of obedience and a, and a life of walking with Jesus. So, again, what I want us to see from verse 8, first, God's call always initiates obedience, which leads to the second point of verse 8, which is obedience is always the response, right? Genuine faith, true genuine faith, always, always obeys God. And I know we are saved by faith alone, but as Scripture tells us, saving faith is never alone. It always results in obedience. And so if someone says, I believe, but that person doesn't obey, then I would say that person's, that person's faith is superficial. That person's faith is worthless. That came up last week in the sermon, right? How do you know Noah believed? Because he built the ark. Doesn't do any good whatsoever for saying, I believe, Lord, I believe, I believe, and he never builds the ark. You know he believed because of what he did, right? Paul refers to this in Romans 1 as an obedience of faith. Obedient faith always abandons everything to follow Jesus, right? If we really believe, then we'll be obedient. And again, that's what salvation looks like. I think, I think a lot of people think that that salvation is simply avoiding sin. That's it. I'm saved because I didn't do this today. Right? And certainly that's a part of what it means to be redeemed, to avoid sin. I get that. But there's more to salvation. This is, what, this is one of the things Caleb, Caleb talked about Wednesday night. I wish, I wish a lot of you would have been here to hear what God had revealed to him. He talked about the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, um, in a way I've never heard. And, and that was one of his big applications is that avoiding sin is not the same thing as being saved. Being saved means you follow Jesus. That's evidence of salvation. And in verse 8 that we just read, we see that exact same thing, right? Obedient faith, saving faith, abandons everything to follow Christ. We, we see this in Luke. When Jesus walked up to Levi and he said, follow me, Luke 5 tells us that Levi left everything behind. He got up and he began to follow. And I realize sometimes it's hard and it can be painful. It may mean, like Abraham, 
that we leave everything behind. But that's what, that's what it looks like. God makes a call and we're obedient to that call. Take a look at the next two verses. Actually, just verse 9. The author goes on and says, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Right? The irony, again, of this verse, verse 9, is that Abraham, the heir to the promised land, he never owned a single foot of it except for that cave he bought to bury his wife. R. Kent Hughes, you've heard us reference R. Kent Hughes before. He, he sums it up this way. He says, imagine if God promised you and your descendants the entire land of Guatemala. And in obedience, you traveled there. But then you had to live the rest of your life in a camper. And not only you, but your son's families lived in their campers moving from place to place. R. Kent Hughes trying to put a modern twist on it, right? But the application of what he's saying is this, is that as people of faith, oftentimes we have to live in this world in conditions that seemingly are contradictory to God's promises, right? As people of faith, we face tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and even death, but we can do that, right? We can do that because as God's people, our homeland is heaven, we're just passing through this. And so we need to adopt the mindset of pilgrims. That's what verse 9 is talking about. So our mindset toward things like success and possessions and purpose in life, they should be different, radically different from the people who this is their home. Take a look at verse 10. Verse 10 goes on to say, For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. This is how you adopt the mindset from verse 9. Verse 9, you adopt the mindset of being a pilgrim in a foreign land. Now the author's telling us, here's how you do it in verse 10. Because the city with foundations, referenced here, it stands in, in stark contrast with life in a tent, which has no foundations. And so what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that Abraham, he went out from his father's country to Canaan, but he wasn't counting on God's promise for this piece of, piece of real estate, right? He was looking beyond where he was going to something different. And what he was looking beyond, too, was the promise of heaven. And that's his focus, and that should be our focus. So Abraham's life, verses 8, 9, and 10, Abraham's life so far show us two things. One, faith always abandons God's call. And two, faith lives in an alien in this world. Let's keep going. Verses 11 and 12. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, I'll be honest, this verse presents a really, really difficult interpretive issue. Um, it's reflected in my version, New American Standard, has Sarah as the subject. Your version may have Abraham as the subject. So I might have been reading, you're thinking, where is he at? Because that's not what my Bible says. It's really, really difficult. And so Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, I called Dr. Guthrie, uh, the guy that we talk about all the time. I'm telling you, he is like the nicest guy I've ever met. He's certainly one of the smartest guys I've ever met. But I called him. I said, Dr. Guthrie, I have a question. I said, my question is in Hebrews, in Hebrews 11. And I told him the verse, and he read it. And he said, yeah, that's a little bit of a problem, isn't it? He said, let me, let me check on something different. And so he, he, he went, he left the phone, and he went and got something. He came back, and he said, let me read this to you. And he read that, and he said, well, that didn't help either. And he did that, he did that a couple of times. 
And then he said, you know what? Let's quit messing around. He said, I've got a, I've got a copy of the Greek New Testament. Just let me get it. He said, I'll read it to you in its original form. And so he comes back and he gets on the phone and he's reading Hebrews chapter 11 in Greek. And like an idiot, I'm on the phone like, yeah, okay, yeah. Like I understood a single word. I didn't know what the guy was saying, right? But he got through with it and he said, he said okay, here's what, here's what you need to know. He said, without getting too technical, just, just know this, that the tense, the idea of Abraham, which is probably in your tr- translation, is the correct idea. He said, even though Abraham is not named in the original Greek. Of course, I wouldn't know that because I don't understand Greek, right? And so he, he solved this for me. And then we talked about it a little bit more. And, he, and, and this is kind of what came out of it. Is that what we need to see here in verse 11 is that re- instead of focusing on, on our own shortcomings and our own failings, uh, true faith focuses on God's power and his faithfulness because that's what's going on here. Because not only were Abraham and Sarah unable to conceive children, they are way, way past the time in life where that should even be possible, right? If you remember back in Genesis around 18, I think, God rebukes Sarah for her unbelief. Remember, she laughs, and God says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Basically, what he's telling her is, look, Sarah, I promised it, and so it's going to happen. And ultimately, Abraham and Sarah rested on that promise. We know that because Isaac was born. And that's what faith is. Faith is resting on the character of God and who God is, even when what we hear, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to think, boy, I don't know how in the world that could happen because God is the one who says it and we rest or put our faith in his character. We can count on it. And so that's what's happening here. Uh, I will say this. I think we need to be careful how careful about haphazardly, though, applying that idea. Um, Anytime we take a, you know, we take a verse out of context and just apply it to how we want, that can be a dangerous thing. I was thinking about this. I think a lot of times, for instance, uh, people think that, that if you have faith in God, that somehow God has promised to heal you from every ailment and disease that you'll ever had, right? God has never promised that. Nowhere in scripture will you find that God promised that. Um, if he did, then people of faith would never die, Right? And kind of as a humorous note, have you ever met a faith healer or heard of a faith healer that lived beyond 100? No. So that should tell you something about this idea. And so we have to be really careful about taking that and just applying it to everything. But the flip side is this. We would be wrong to not trust God to do things that are far beyond our human understanding and our human abilities. Right? We sang this earlier. Luke tells us this, that nothing is impossible with God. And so as difficult as verse 11 is, the point of it is that that our faith is never in ourselves. Our faith is not even in our faith. Our faith is in the character of God because God is faithful. And then take a look at our last verse. The writer sums up for today. He says, therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. I think the thing that we need to see from from this verse is this, that instead of focusing, instead of focusing on answers in our lifetime, um, we just need to trust God to keep his word in his in his time. And that can be really hard to do, right? We are a want it now, get it now group of people. 
and it can be really hard sometimes um, to trust in God's timing and not our own. But think about it. I mean, think about Abraham's life. What did he get in his lifetime for his life of faith? Seriously. Right? He was uprooted from his family and friends, and he never got to see him again. If he did own a house in Ur, he never owned another one. So it was the last house he ever lived in. He spent the rest of his life live, moving around, living in tents. He did, see, he did see Isaac born, the son of the promise, and he did live for a few years after that, about 12 or 15 years uh, after the birth of Jacob, but he never saw any of Jacob's sons, right? Abraham never lived long enough to see even a hint of the fulfillment of God's promise as far as the multiplication of his descendants. Again, the only thing he ever really owned was that burial plot. But if you look ahead to verse 13, which is where we'll start look next week, look at what it says. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Abraham's faith, as we've seen, is focused on eternity, not on this life. And so one of the most important lessons about faith that we need to learn is that God's time is not our own, right? I mean, from Abraham's time frame, he lived 175 years, and that's a lot for us. Uh, but but in, his, in his lifetime, if that's all you look at, God's promises failed because they did not happen while he was alive, right? He died with one son and two grandsons, which is which is a really far cry from a, from a nation of people as innumerable as the sand on the shore. But from God's time frame, right, the, two, the true children of Abraham, those who believe in Christ, number in the billions. And so the promise has been fulfilled. It was just fulfilled after Abraham's life, lifetime. So, again, from our limited time frame, certain events don't always fit with God's promises, but from his, he is always, always faithful. And so as we get close, as we get close to coming toward the end, I want to ask you a really serious question. But I want to start by looking back at verse 6 that Chris preached last week. Verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who sink him. So here's my question. How would we, how would we live today if we really believe, absolutely believe that God existed and that God loved us completely and that God had a destination for us that made everything the world offers pale by comparison to just one square inch of what God is offering us? What would it look like, right? How would we live if we believe that God cared for every one of our actions and every concern, right? What would that look like? How would we live in the face of opposition if we truly believed, really believed? And I know you're sitting there thinking what I would be thinking if somebody was standing up in front of me saying this. Well, I do. I really believe, right? I believe with all I am. So here's the more serious question. How would, you how would you live differently if you didn't believe? Okay? If, you, if, if your answer to those first questions are, well, I don't believe, I don't want to believe, right? How would you live differently if you did not believe? Would there be much difference from how you're living now? And that's really the critical question. Do you as a person of faith live differently than people that don't have any faith? 
Because if all I am and all I do, if it differs little from my unbelieving neighbor, then I've embraced his world and I've embraced his values and I'm a fool by saying that I'm living for another world and for kingdom values. My, my life has to be radically different in the things I, I, I embrace. And so when I live by faith, when we live by faith, right? When I live by faith, I will be a person to whom God can bear witness and I will be a person that bears witness to God in such a way that it stimulates other people to faith. That's what it looks like, right? That's what your faith has done in my life. That's what your faith has done in my children's life. I could stand here and talk until Bailey preaches tonight about, about so many of you and the life of faith you lived and the impact it has had on me and the impact it has had on Stacy, and the impact it has had on our four children. And you're living in obedience to God, stimulated within us a desire to be obedient and to live a life of faith. Right? And that's what has to happen. I will, you will live a life that helps other people and honors another, right? That honors God, honors something other than us. If we live that way, then we will have, choose, and we will have truly chosen the narrow path. And so today... What I want to tell you is that you can begin living that life of faith. Or you can return to a life of faith that you formerly were living. Right? I think a lot of us in the room today maybe fall into one of those categories. Either you've never trusted Jesus for your salvation, you've never been obedient to God's call, today you can. Right? You can begin living that life today. God makes a call and obediently you step out and you answer that call. Right? And if that's you this morning, come forward and we'll talk for a few minutes and we'll set up a time to go through and talk about all of this. We will, what it means that Jesus died on a cross so that I could be saved. And maybe you're in a different group. Maybe once you lived according to faith, right? And you can think back to when your life was aligned with that and, and living a life of faith, but somehow you're just kind of in step for step with the world and you need to repent. You need to turn back to Jesus in obedience. And the great news is if you do, He'll come back to you. He'll come to you, right? That was part of the application the other night too in the parable of the prodigal son. The son repented when he decided in the midst of the pigsty, I'm going back. That was his repentance. And when he repented, the father came running to him and that's what it looks like. You repent and turn away from sin. And if you do, God will run, run to you. God always comes to us. God is always in the process of going. And so if you're in that camp today and, and you can think back to a time and maybe it hasn't happened for a while, I would encourage you, come forward this morning, get on your knees and pray. Pray to God to help you be obedient to his call. Pray to God to be one that lives a life of faith so that you stimulate others to a life of faith as well. I'm going to invite the band to come back up as I pray. And if you have reason this morning to come forward, something you need to share, something you need to do, or you just want to pray at the altar as they play, I would tell you, do not miss the opportunity to be, to be obedient to what God is asking you this morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we come. God, I pray humbly. And I pray we come with, God, we come with hearts. 
that can only be changed by you, that are willing to be changed by you, that desire to be changed by you. And God, again, I pray that if there is, if there is anyone here this morning who has heard your call over and over, that God, today would be the day that they learn what it means to be obedient, to step out in faith, and to trust you. God, I pray if there are others whose lives have been marked by faith, but God, now are marked by something different, that you would convict them, God, as you call them back to you, that they would turn and allow themselves to be met by a father that loves, that forgives, and offers grace. God, I just pray that during this last few moments, again, lives would change and you would receive glory. We love you and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.